The scripture is found in, um, as you can see, in Psalms 51, and it's verses 10 through 14. I'll be reading from the new uh, King James Version of the Bible. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. In introducing today's uh, subject, DVD, from Dr. Mascola, um, I'm reminding you of the words of an old song. Nicodemus was a rich man. A rich, proud ruler was he, well known in the synagogue and a reputable Pharisee. He came to Jesus on a moonlit night when everybody was in bed. And he said, Master, you've really been sent from God. But this is what Jesus said. You must be born again if you would see my Father's kingdom. You must put your trust in him, for he alone can save your soul. Jesus paused and listened to the rustling of the leaves. He said, Nicodemus, the Spirit of God is something like the breeze. You can see where it's going, but you cannot see where it's been. It blows across the sands of men and across their souls and changes people's hearts. Nicodemus was offended, but he didn't let Jesus know. At the same time, he was convicted, but he didn't dare let it show. For after all, he was a Pharisee, and he never made one mistake. <laughs> and the thought of his unrighteousness was just too much for him to take. Nicodemus went home that night quite a different man, pierced through by the words he'd heard. And trying to understand, he believed Christ was the Son of God. He needed no further sign. The words that Jesus spoke that night will echo to the end of time, right into the Fort Bragg Church. You must be born again if you would see my Father's kingdom. You must put your trust in him, for he alone can save your soul. Just another thought or two before we see the, the message. As my hair turns from brown to gray and then to white, I'm reminded of the fact that the church has always had, always had discord, disharmony. It's been there from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had their precious sons. It was a horrible disharmony. And it's been that way from the beginning and will be that way till the end of time, until Jesus comes. But as I look out over the ocean in a sunset, and I think of my own life sunset that I'm in, what I want to know is, is just one thing. How is a man saved? I've heard it said that, well, that's easy. Jesus died on the cross for you. But we also know from inspiration that we will study that theme throughout the endless ages of eternity. And so my question is, why not study it now in all its depth? It seems to be a well that has no end of pearls, jewels, and gold. Dr. Muscala will talk to us today about the judgment, something that I think, I think being born again relates to.
But now, um, uh, um, and we also saw that Christ, uh, cross of, of Jesus Christ is the central point. And everything must come um, from the cross and to the cross. Because Jesus Christ um, was slain from the creation of the world. That the whole history of humanity is, um, must be seen from this perspective of the cross. Um, imagine that I am a very rich man. Of course, you need to have a very wild imagination for that. <laughs> and I give each of you a $100 million check. Only imagine. <laughs> it will not uh, do you any good if you do not cash the check at your bank, so you may have access to the money. Only after you sign the check at the bank will you mm, obtain access to your fortune. Only after cashing the check can you work with the money, invest it, and enjoy the benefits. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is like the cosmic bank. Not only worldwide bank, but cosmic, cosmic bank. You need to cash. It means to accept for yourself what God accomplished for you on the cross. And all phases of God's judgment, steps in His plan of salvation are possible because of his deposit of grace. And let me now explain and go into more details. How does one put the cross of Jesus at the center of God's judgment? How would one do it in regard of 1844? This is our basic question now. Well, here are the seven phases of God's universal judgment um, and it will be with the celebration of the cross, because cross is really here um, the central point of everything what we are talking. And you have uh, judgments uh, before the cross, judgment on the cross, and then judgments uh, after the cross. Seven phases. So let's um, go and see um, how it works. Um, my study now will be very specific, and I will concentrate only on two, uh, two aspects. In uh, your material, in your uh, you know, envelope, you have the whole article about the seven phases of God's judgment. Uh, I hope it's a whole, because in some uh, uh, envelopes, some pages were m missing. Uh, but uh, you will have all details. But uh, I will now only concentrate on two aspects, on the time of judgment... And then on the content of judgment, it means the nature of it. I will not deal really with place or benefits or um, many biblical texts, only on, on some, and I will uh, not describe it uh, in, in details. Therefore, now let's go to the first phase of God's judgment, and this is the pre-cross judgments. Judgments in the Old Testament era. And what is the content of this judgment? What is the nature? I call these um, judgments as typological or pedagogical judgments. They are the teaching tools of God to tell us what is His attitude towards sin and how He saves people. They are like mini-judgments of God. Or better to say even example judgments. Let me give you one uh, clear illustration here. When does God's judgment occur for the first time in the Bible? You know, it was in Genesis chapter 3, in the Garden of Eden. And question, why did Adam and Eve not die when God said that in the day they would eat from the forbidden fruit, they would surely die? Why not? Because of the cross of Jesus, because of grace. God's grace, which was streaming from the cross of Jesus, was applied to them. Revelation 13, 8. When Jesus was slain, the Lamb was slain the, from the foundation of the world. Okay, therefore you see that all Old Testament judgments are really from the perspective of the cross already here. And you have plenty of other judgments. I will not go into these details. You can read for yourself. And... Uh, um, this um, uh, faith is very important because we have good examples how God is dealing with judgment. Now, phase number two, as for the time, is judgment on the cross. And you, you know that God's cross is God's smile for us. 
It was a very painful experience for God, and a demonstration of His justice, but also a demonstration of His love. And here we have this judgment on the cross. As for the content, the nature, I call this judgment um, uh, very um, powerfully as the central judgment. Cross is the central point. This is um, the whole um, history of universe, I would say, uh, goes to the cross as the central point. And from the cross goes again. And not only... Um, cross is important as a central point for us as humans, but because of the cross, the whole universe is safe today. This is why I call this judgment as central cosmic judgment. Central cosmic judgment. And again, we could spend plenty of time with this um, central cosmic judgment which happened on the cross, but let me point only to a few things. Who was judged on the cross? Of course, Satan was judged and he was condemned to death. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. When I, if I am lifted up from the earth, this is the cross of Jesus here, I will draw all peoples to myself. You see the connection between the cross and uh, judgment also here. In uh, John 16 is the same. Um, the rule of this world is, is judged. Uh, the same thought is in Hebrews 2.14. Uh, Who else was judged on the cross? Of course, sin and evil. Because um, Romans 8.3 is telling us that Jesus Christ condemned sin in the flesh. Who else was judged? We all were judged. All humanity. We were there. We were there. In Isaiah 53 we read, He was pierced for... Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now this is demonstration of God's justice and love for us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Who else was judged? God himself. But when we say that God was judged, please be careful here. Uh, not that someone had the power to put God on trial. There is no force, no person, nobody in the whole universe who can put God on trial. But on the contrary, God is so great, so magnificent that He is going down to us and He is um, asking, invites us, please, you judge who I am. That you can know that what I am doing is really in, in uh, accordance of all principles of love. Yes, he opens himself and invites everyone to judge who he is. And by that he, is, he, he was proven to be God of love, God of justice, God of truth, God of order, and God of freedom. This is our God. In Psalm 51, verse 4, um, David is saying, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. You know, God is justified when He is judging. In Romans 3, 4 is the quotation from that, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. God prevails. His truth, His love, His justice prevails. Prevail. Well, I think that this is a very important point but known point that the judgment was on the cross, therefore I will not spend um, uh, much time here uh, with this second phase of God's judgment. But now I have to ask you, what is the um, third phase of God's judgment? Let me tell you that you cannot jump from uh, the cross to 1844. You cannot jump like that. Uh, what is the, the third um, phase of God's judgment? It's a judgment during our lifetime. This is what you experience every day. Let me explain now. Here is this phase number three. And in this phase number three, we need to now show in our life what we will do with the cross of Jesus. How we will relate. Will we trust God or not? Whom we will follow? What will be our orientation in our life? And this judgment, uh, which is um, going in our life, 
um, I would like to call as decisive judgment. Why decisive judgment? Because all important decisions are made in our life. We do our decisions and God respects our decisions. And nobody can do any decisions for us and nobody can change our decisions. Amen? God cannot change our decision or Satan cannot change our decisions. We decide. We decide what we will do with uh, Jesus. Therefore, this is uh, what I call decisive judgment. What is going on in our everyday life. And uh, there are many uh, beautiful verses, but I would like now to study with you only two places from the Bible to, to prove this point, uh, how important is this decisive judgment, judgment during our lifetime. Because everything depends on our relationship uh, to, to Jesus Christ. He's uh, drawing everybody to himself, and uh, we need to decide. The first text is John, in the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, verse 24. And here we read, Jesus is saying, according to New King James Version translation, I say to you, surely I say to you, amen, amen, this is most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, one day will have eternal life. Do you read that? Like that? No. He has right now eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into judgment. Therefore, if we hear the preaching of the gospel and now we respond positively, we read here that not only we have eternal life, but we will not come into judgment. Wow! We will not come into judgment. Is Jesus Christ correct when he's saying that we will not come into judgment? <laughs> You know, in Second Corinthians 5.10, we read what Paul is saying. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Is Paul and Jesus in contradiction? No, they are not in contradiction. Let me show it why they are not in contradiction. Because here we have that person who believes in Jesus will not come into judgment. What kind of judgment this person will not come? What kind of judgment? The judgment of condemnation. Judgment of condemnation. You know, there is a, a specific um, Greek expression there. I will not go into these details. But this one Greek expression can be translated in two different wor uh, ways. And you can see that, for example, NIV translation has not that person will not um, come into judgment, but that person will be not condemned. And this is really um, probably even better translation, not to be condemned. But I don't want to argue, because this is also a possible translation. That person will not come into judgment. And this is clear, judgment of condemnation. Now I am asking you, do you know judgment described in the Bible, which is 100% of judgment of condemnation? Yes. Which one? When you have the end of millennium, then uh, um, New Jerusalem is already the, the here on earth. And where are the redeemed? They are in the New Jerusalem. And then after, there is the last judgment. And what is this last judgment? Judgment of condemnation. 100% of condemnation. It's judgment of annihilation of all evil and those who are associated with evil. You see, and Jesus Christ is saying, yes, you can rejoice, because nobody who believes in me will come to the judgment of condemnation, because all redeemed will be already in the new Jerusalem. Amen. Therefore, it's not, uh, not in contradiction. Yes, we all will appear in the, before the judgment seat of God. And we don't need to worry. Why not? Because even in this translation is uh, stated that when we hear the voice of God and believe in, um, in Him who sent uh, Jesus Christ, has eternal life and will not be condemned. What does it mean? Will be not condemned in any kind of judgment. Because where we are with Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation to those 
who are in Christ Jesus. And um, let me show it here, the importance of the sequence. Consider the sequence of different issues. First, Jesus is saying, you need to hear Okay, the preaching. Therefore, the first is the preaching of the gospel. Gospel is about God, what God is doing for us. And then there is a response. When it is a positive response, we call it that that person believe, that person trust in the Lord. And then there are benefits, results. What is the first result? That the person has eternal life. Notice the present tense. Has right now eternal life. Then second, that person does not come to judgment. It means he is not condemned. And third, that um, the person is passing from death to eternal life. You see what are the beautiful benefits? That person does not come into judgment. It means he is not condemned at the judgment. Um, let me state it now in different ways. Uh, each Sabbath morning at 11 o'clock, is a judgment hour. Do you believe so? Do I surprise you? I strongly believe that each morning, Sabbath morning at 11 o'clock is a judgment hour. Why? Why it is true? Because the gospel is preached. And people have to respond. And if they believe, they are passing through judgment. And if they are passing through judgment now... Um, it's uh, decision time. And if they believe, they will be not condemned. And they will, uh, they have eternal life, and they are passing from death into life. Amen? This is so beautiful, so great. It stresses also the importance of God-centered preaching. Am I right? When you preach, uh, elders and pastors, please preach the word of God. Present the Lamb before your audience who takes away sins of the world. And when people will see the Lamb, they are confronted with the Lamb and they need to make decisions. And when they believe, they are passing from death into life. They have eternal life and they will be never condemned. They will never come into the judgment of condemnation never be, have part in that last judgment. It, it occurs every time also, not only Sabbath morning, uh, but also every time when um, uh, people are confronted with the truth. When you are witnessing to people, they have to make decisions. When uh, you give Bible studies and people have enough information and they make decisions, uh, this is uh, when they are passing through judgment. Um, when you have meaningful discussions, Sometimes prayer sessions, sometimes sing, singing. When uh, Jesus um, speaks to the heart of people, they make decisions. This is the time of judgment. Um, there are many beautiful texts. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Uh, you have, uh, uh, you know, uh, text after text. First John 5, 12. He who has the Son has uh, life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Paul in Romans 8.1. Let me give you now a simple illustration, which I hope um, will seal um, what we are talking now about. Let me tell you that um, in my hand is now paper, and uh, in my illustration this paper represents me, me as a sinner. And my Bible represents Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ said in uh, uh, John 5.24 that the first thing is that we need to hear preaching of the gospel. And I, as a sinner, I heard this beautiful message about my God, that He is my creator. And um, uh, He is not only my creator, but He also loves me so much that He gave His life for me. And more and more I know Him, more I am, am in love with Him. And I see His holiness. And I'm attracted to Him because He's so good. So He's so kind. And, um, uh, well, when I come to Him, I see also that I am sinful. In His holiness, I see that I am full of sins. But then one day I decide to follow Him, to give Him uh, my life. And I openly, honestly, sincerely confess my sins. And now Jesus Christ will accept me. For how many percent? 
for 50% of 99. Because who knows what the sinner Moscala, repentant sinner Moscala will do in two weeks or three months or five years. Now, when I come and confess honestly, openly, sincerely my sins, he accepts me for 100%. And for now, I am in the Lord. Amen? What does it mean? I am hidden in him. It means that his righteousness is now my righteousness. He's covering me with the white, not black, but white robe of his righteousness. His purity now is my purity. His perfection is my perfection. His character is my character. And I am saved in Him for 100%. Amen? This is what Paul is so often is speaking, um, that we have everything in Christo. He has this Greek phrase. It means in Christ. Everything in Christ. Uh, and... Um, uh, this good news does not end here, even though it's so, so nice and so good. Uh, this good news continues. When the Heavenly Father looks upon me now, whom does he see? Jesus. His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Because I am in him. I am in Christ. We received an expensive grace, not a cheap one. And... What this grace is doing, our, doing for us? When we are in Christ Jesus, we are not staying the same. We are transformed by the grace of God. You know, this amazing grace is a transforming grace. Let, let me say it in this way. Do you know why grace is amazing? Not only because it can save a wretch like me, but especially... It is amazing because it is a transforming grace. And let me state it even in this way. If grace is not transforming, it means it is not amazing. It's amazing because it's transforming. And this is what we have when we are in Christ Jesus. He is changing us. He is transforming us. That we can reflect the beauty of His character. This is the gospel. This is what God as our judge is doing for you and for me. Amen? This uh, power of God's grace is, um, is really amazing. Let me stress here one quotation from Ellen G. White. This is my favorite. This is like the golden verse of Ellen G. White. <laughs> In Steps to Christ on page 62, she says, if you, if you give yourself to Him, to Jesus Christ, and accept Him as your personal Savior, then... Sinful as your life may have been, for His sake, not for your goodness or for your achievement or your performance, but for His sake, you are accounted righteous. And now listen, Christ's character stands in place of your character. And what else? And you are accepted before God as just as if you had not sinned. Amen. This is the gospel. This is what God, our judge, is doing for us. We are counted before God as just as if we had not sinned. This is uh, the heartbeat now, you know, of the, of the center of the gospel. Let me now stress the second verse. In um, Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1 to 10, we have a beautiful passage, and I wish that you can, in the evening, read for yourself. But there is a passage, uh, one statement in um, that section of the Bible, which for me was like a dynamite. And it's a, a very, uh, uh, you know, weak word. It was not a dynamite for me. It was an atomic bomb. <laughs> and when I was reading it, and after I really understood, and I was reading several times this passage, but never got it, but when I really saw this meaning... I was not able to sit behind my desk. I was literally standing and jumping and dancing of joy. Because it's so powerful. Let's um, read together. Paul is saying that when we are without Christ, we are a dead meat. Okay? We are dead. We are dead in our sins and in our transgressions. Verse 4, but, this is divine but, change is coming. When we accept Jesus Christ, His richness, His love, 
what is going on. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us allied with Christ. You know, when we are in Jesus Christ, we are living with Him. We are alive with Him. And this is why His grace is working and changing us. And we are more and more like Him. But then comes um, uh, that statement about that we are saved by grace. And then, atomic bomb. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, where? With Him, with Christ, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Wow! Let me ask you, where do you sit? According to this verse... You are saved in Christ Jesus. And because you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith you are where? You are already sitting in heaven. You are there. And where? In what place in heaven? In the same epistle of Ephesians, in chapter 1, you can read in verse 20 that Jesus Christ, when He ascended into heaven, He is sitting at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Therefore, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you accepted Him as your personal Savior, He not only is giving you eternal life, you are not only passing from death into life, you are not only condemned, but you are alive! And you are not here, but you are sitting in heaven. You are on the heavenly throne with Christ Jesus, right beside the heavenly Father. What a good news. This is what He is doing because He is our judge. And this is so beautiful, so powerful. Let me say it in this way now. If you are already in heaven, why? Why do you worry if you will make it one day into heaven? Now, how often I hear in our churches, I don't know if I will make it into heaven. This is terrible. You will never make it into heaven. I can guarantee you it. If you will make it into heaven, it's not because of you, but it's only because you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And here we have it. When we are in Jesus Christ, we are already in heaven. We are already there. But of course, I can come to my sister here and push her and, uh, and ask, well, sister, tell me, where are you sit? And if um, and she's honest enough, she will say, well, I am here in, uh, in Portland uh, in this beautiful hall. Yes, we are here. Physically, we are still here because uh, we are not yet in heaven. But by faith, we are already in heaven. We have this reality. By faith. But um, physically, not yet. And this is what we have in theology, in the Bible, already, but not yet. We have already eternal life, but not yet. We will die. But we have this full assurance that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have it right away. And no matter if you die or not, it will be only uh, for one split of the second. You will be sleeping and then you will be resurrected and your eternal life is, is for you. We are safe in the hands of Jesus. When we um, decide for Him, we have security in Him. We are always there. For already, but not yet. Yes, uh, we are already in heaven, but not yet. Okay? But this is this reality. It is reality. It's reality by faith. We are already there. Um, but, of course, we need to wait for the second coming of Jesus when this uh, faith reality will be a physical, tangible, when we will see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Amen? But now, uh, uh, this is a very important point. The gospel, this beauty of the gospel does not end here. If the gospel will end here, this will be not the gospel. It will be a nice, beautiful philosophy. Because in that case, we would know that we are saved by Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. We are already in heaven. We are sitting there. But if we end the preaching of the gospel here, then so what? 
nice philosophy, but nothing tangible, nothing we can really experience uh, really in our life with all fullness and with all consequences. This is why God is making another step. He's doing something for you and for me. What is it? This is this judgment number four. And what is this judgment number four? This is what we call pre-advent judgment. God is again doing something for you because this judgment is not about you. It's about, about God, what He is doing on your behalf. And what He's doing? Now we, we finish that we are in heaven by faith. But who knows if these heavenly beings in heaven will be happy with us if we are there. Therefore, God is making a place for us, preparing a place for us in heaven. And how He's doing it? He's doing it publicly. He's calling the whole judgment in heaven in order to secure legally our place in heaven and secure it in front of the whole universe. Amen? This is what He is doing for us. And uh, now let's uh, think more about this pre-advent judgment. What is uh, the nature of the pre-advent judgment? We call usually this um, pre-advent judgment as investigative judgment. But let me tell you very openly, this term in 21st century as we are living today, this term can be a misleading term. Let me explain. Who needs to investigate? God? Absolutely not. In 2 Timothy 2.19 we read, The Lord knows those who are His. Therefore, who needs to investigate? We, believers in Christ Jesus? Of course not. Uh, why not? According to 1 John 5.12-13 and many other texts, He who has the Son has life. And not only that, he who does not have the Son of God does not have, uh, have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. You don't need to be wishy-washy, shaky, uh, with doubts. No, you may know for 100% that you have eternal life when you are in Christ Jesus. It is so simple. Salvation is not, not difficult. It's simple. We theologians sometimes we are making difficult. Okay. But salvation as is presented in the Bible is so beautiful, so simple. When we have Jesus, when we have the Son, we have life. And we can know it. Therefore, it is um, investigative judgment is not that we investigate something. Or God investigate in order to know. Uh, therefore, you, you see how, how the term can be misleading. That people are thinking about different things. And this is not what is in the context. Um, I can give you here illustration. In July this year, I celebrated with my wife our 30th anniversary. <laughs> I am already happily married for three decades. <laughs> wow, I'm so old. <laughs> well, um, uh, let me tell you this. I don't need to wake up in the morning and think, well, am I married or not? <laughs> Why not? Because I love my wife. I never divorced her. I make my decisions in respect to her. I stayed with her even in our difficult times. I was not always a perfect husband. That's true. <laughs> But we belong together and we live together. This is why I know I am married. And I don't need to wake up in the morning and think, am I married or not? It's automatic, I know I am married and I can rejoice in it. And every day is more beautiful. Okay, I know it. And let me say, you, say to you that in the same way, I don't need to wake up in the morning and think, Am I saved or am I not? Why? Because every morning I rededicate my life to Him. The first thing I do after I wake up is to kneel beside my bed and thank Him for the gift of life. And in that morning, this is the first step. Sometimes even in the bed, but usually I kneel down 
And I say, Lord, I give again my life to you. I dedicate it to you. And you fill me with your holiness. You transform me. You change me. You use me. You bless me. And uh, I start the new day like that. I put uh, my family there and and others uh, into the hands of God. And during the day, I walk with the Lord. I do my decisions in regard to Him, to His word, to His law, uh, to, to His person. And in the evening, when um, I go to bed, I again kneel down and I ask him, well, forgive me if I did something wrong. Amen. And accept me again. And I rededicate my life again to him. And I can sleep in his hands. Knowing that if something would happen, I don't need to worry. Because if I would die in that moment... I am in His hands. I am in Him. I am safe in Him. I am in Christ Jesus. Amen? Therefore, I don't need to wake up in the morning and think, am I saved or not? Because I know that Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and I am in Him. He is for me and never against me. Amen? Well, in addition, in the pre-advent judgment, humans are totally passive. Do you know that? We are totally passive in the pre-advent judgment. We do not play the, any active role. We have made our decisions. It's finished. Okay, we have made our decisions. And now this judgment is about what God, our high priest, is doing for us in heaven. The day of atonement is not about us. It's about God, about the high priest, what the high priest is doing. Amen? This is his activity. It is his day. The day of the high priest and he, what he is doing for us. And this is what he is doing in heaven now, right now for us. And for who needs to investigate? Yes, angels. That's true. Angels need to investigate. The primitive judgment is conducted mainly for the sake of, uh, of angels and the heavenly being. Therefore, for them, it's correct, as you can read in Daniel 7, 9 to 10. But... Um, you know, terms we are using are very important because by terms we convey concepts, truths, ideas, um, and we need to choose the best. Am I right? We need to choose the word which can really convey what is the content of um, this judgment. Therefore, I would like to suggest when you speak about uh, angels, yes, use the word uh, investigative judgment because they need to investigate. But if you speak about God, God does not need to investigate. If we speak about, um, about believers, we don't need to investigate because we know. Therefore, what will be the better term, the best term uh, which will describe the content of the judgment? After all discussions with my colleagues and uh, my search and my prayers, I would like to suggest this term. I would like to pro propose this term, this better term, that this judgment is actually affirmative judgment. Yeah. Your decisions you made privately between um, you and God, God is now taking in public in front of the whole universe and is affirming your decisions for Him. And He is uh, here to, to show it. And he's demonstrating um, your relationship to him. He's revealing to the whole universe how you love Jesus. Um, therefore, I uh, call this judgment as affirmative judgment. Let me uh, give you here some uh, more uh, details. This uh, judgment is an affirmative or confirmatory judgment from the viewpoint of God and human beings. It is God's demonstrative of, or revelatory judgment. He openly demonstrates to the whole universe our relationship to Him, His attitude to sin, and how He saves repentant sinners. Amen? Amen. It is time when judgment is pronounced in favor of the saints of the Most High in heaven. Personally, we already receive it, but now it's revealed, it's uh, attested, it's affirmed, confirmed in heaven. Nothing mysterious is going in this pre-advent judgment. Nothing hidden. It's very plain, very clear. It's a legal admission to heaven uh, of repentant sinners um, in front of the whole universe. 
and God is proved just, uh, his love and justice is demonstrated, and, uh, and so on. You, uh, here I will show you some pictures you can find in our textbooks. Uh, this picture here, um, when Jesus is standing, and here is the Seventh-day Adventist. You see what we are conveying by this picture? That religion is a very sad experience. This is very wrong, very wrong. Um, here you have another picture. What is at the center? Well, here the law. Jesus Christ is not at the center. I am at the center. But the message of God is not anthropocentric, it's not about me, it's about God. What the high priest is doing, not about me. Therefore, there are wrong pictures, very misleading pictures. Uh, you know, I don't like that because uh, what is missed there? Pictures are very impersonal, with very sad faces. You, you, you saw this. <laughs> and distance between justified sinner and Jesus, you know, it's very far. And usually Jesus or the cross is not at the center of the picture, but the sinner. I, therefore, I don't like that. You know, there will be uh, some possibilities how to improve the pictures. And if you are gifted with this gift, please um, draw something better. I am waiting for, for something uh, like that. You know, one possibility would be to uh, present repentant sinner on the pierced palm of Jesus. Or... You know, to draw repentant sinner in the heart of Jesus. Like we are in Christ Jesus. We are saved, then we are in the heart of Jesus. Or, you know, to present Jesus embracing a repentant sinner. And here is the best picture I, I could see, uh, found. This is from one leading evangelist. Uh, uh, here the picture. Uh, what is good is that Jesus Christ is embracing somebody. But uh, wrong. What is at the center? Jesus? No, the law, you see. It's, again, missing the main point. Because the main point is not the law, but it's the activity of the home of the high priest. This is actually what should be there. Jesus at the center. And how, what he is doing uh, for us. You know, um, uh, let me be now very personal. I understand that in the pre-advent judgment... Uh, with one hand, Jesus will embrace me. With another one, will um, very clearly, uh, publicly show my real life. He will, um, uh, you know, say about my mistakes, what I, what I did in my life, uh, very clearly. But I strongly believe that uh, the time, uh, pre-advent judgment is not time for display of my sins. It will be there also. But it is not the main point. The main point is that Jesus is my true witness and he knows me the best. Um, he demonstrates to the whole universe what is my attitude toward him. What is my attitude toward sin and salvation. It's a, he will show my orientation of my life. And he will show that I am not oriented to sin even though I do some mistakes and I fall down. But always I am standing and going to Jesus Christ. And he will show this orientation of my life, and my directions of my life. And when he will very clearly show the, my priorities of life, that I am for him directed, and, and my attitude is for him and not against him, I strongly believe that after all this explanation, he will say the following, My grace is sufficient for the repentant sinner Moscow. And I think that uh, when Jesus Christ will show his hands and will say, my grace, my blood is sufficient for this repentant sinner Moscow. In my imagination, I see that the whole universe will jump up from their seats and they will applaud. But of course, they will not applaud me. <laughs> but they will applaud this amazing, transforming grace of God. Amen. That God was able to save sinners like Moscow. And I also imagine that um, in that moment they will say, well, we want that Moscow will live with us and will, will live with us for all eternity. In this way, I will be part of the heavenly family. 
And I imagine that they will say, and if Moscala will be not here, then it will be an empty spot in the whole universe. We want him there. He is part of our family. And in this way, what Jesus is doing, my high priest, my glorious, beautiful high priest, he is legally securing in front of the whole universe my place in heaven for all eternity. Amen? This is why I need, I personally need, you need the pre-advent judgment. You need this affirmative judgment um, that God will affirm your place in heaven um, in front of the whole universe. You know, in John 14, verse 1 and 2, 3, we read that God, Jesus Christ, promised that He will go into heaven, and when He will be in heaven, He will prepare a place for us. And I was always wondering why it takes Jesus so long <laughs> to prepare a place for me in heaven. Because I know that He is a mighty Creator. He can say the world, and for all of us, will be in one second place in heaven. For why it's so long? Because He takes time to secure our place in heaven, in front of the whole universe. This place is not only a physical place, but it's a place that we can be in heaven for all eternity and spend this eternity with the heavenly family. Amen? And then um, when uh, we are now by faith in heaven and now our place in heaven is secured in phase number four, what is needed more? If the gospel will end here, again, we will be very miserable people. But now when we are by faith in heaven and Jesus Christ in the pre-advent judgment is securing our place in heaven, what he can do? He can go down here on this planet earth to take us back home. And this is this um, judgment during uh, the second coming of Christ. And I call this judgment during the second coming of Christ as realization judgment. Because um, everything what we were hoping for, what we were believing in, now will be tangibly, physically realized. This will be our reality. Amen? This is why we are Seventh-day Adventists. We have this beautiful hope for the second coming of Jesus. And this is why I call this judgment as realization judgment. And you know this um, judgment very well. Therefore, let me quickly go to the sixth phase of God's judgment. After the second coming, what will come? Millennium. Judgment during millennium. What kind? Why we need judgment during millennium? Uh, well, because um, of uh, new understanding for us, for the re redeemed. And this is why I call this judgment as attestation judgment. What's going on there? Let me say it very simply. You see this, this biblical text to we, to which spoke, uh, speak about uh, pre-advent judgment, uh, the judgment during millennium. And now... And what is the content? Well, God wants us to be happy in heaven and happy through eternity. Am I right? Even though our beloved ones or close relatives would be not there with us. And God wants that we will be happy. You know, a hypothetical illustration. My father died three years ago. He passed away and in, in 90. He was 90. And he was the one who led me to Jesus Christ. And in my memory and in my relationship with him, this was always the best. And now only hypothetically, let's say that I will be in heaven and he will be not there. What a shock would be for me. And of course I will not doubt about God's love and justice. Because I know that God is love and just, especially love. When I am there, he must be a great love. And if I am there and my father is not I will have this question mark. I will not doubt about God's decision, but God will see my question mark here. Therefore, one day He will come to me and say, Yes, yeah, let's go for a walk. I need to explain to you something. And He will tell me that I know only one side of my Father, and He needs to show me something else. And He will demonstrate why He had to decide that my Father would be not in heaven. And in, in that, all these questions will go out. 
Uh, of course, God wants us to be happy in heaven and happy through eternity, even if we should um, there meet our enemies. <laughs> or those who, according to our understanding, were enemies of Christ and His people. Again, a hypothetical example. Imagine that you will be in heaven and you will meet Nero, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Pinochet, or Osama bin Laden. What a surprise. I strongly believe they will be not there, but uh, it's only uh, for illustration's sake. Imagine that if something like that would, would happen, then of course God needs to explain to us something. That Hitler, in the last moment of his life, he really repented. But I don't know nothing about that, you know. It's only uh, hypothetical. And God wants that we in all times, throughout all the universe, we have no doubts, no question marks again. And this is why we need this um, judgment during millennium. This is time for receiving clearer insights and deeper understanding of reality. But it's also time for reconciliation. I believe so. For healing of emotional wounds, for restoration of broken relationships and growth, which were not able to be solved during um, our lifetime. Let me give you a simple illustration here. In 2 Kings chapter 21, we read about King Manasseh. Who was King Manasseh? He was the symbol of evil, the worst of the worst. Uh, uh, and um, uh, he reigned 55 years. And rabbis always had this question, how is it possible that this worst king, the symbol of evil, like in the, in the um, uh, north was Ahab and Jezebel, in the south, on the throne of David was Manasseh. And... Um, no, he practiced idolatry. He even in the temple, into the temple, brought idols. He offered his sons to foreign gods. Can you imagine this distorted mind? That you would take your, your children and offer gods in order that these gods will give you favor? You see this sick mind? This was Manasseh. He exercised magic and spiritism. He murdered plenty of people. Besides, he murdered also Isaiah. According to the book, The Ascension of Isaiah, um, Isaiah was uh, put into the empty trunk of the tree and then Manasseh took a saw and cut it in half. Terrible death. What was the last thought of Isaiah about Manasseh? That is the worst of the worst. Symbol of devil. Well, but if you... Um, uh, Read Second Chronicles chapter 33. You can read this good news. At least I believe it is good news that Manasseh repented. He went through the difficult times. I will not go into that details. But um, then he repented. He cried to the Lord. And it was a sincere repentance. God restored him. And he provided great revival and reformation back uh, in um, his country. Therefore, good news. God saved sinners. God is um, saving even the sinner like Manasseh. It means that Manasseh will be in heaven. Amen? Amen. Glory, hallelujah to God. He is a mighty judge. He can do it. Uh, his grace is amazing grace because this grace is transforming grace. But if uh, Isaiah, uh, if Manasseh will be in heaven, it means that Isaiah and Manasseh will meet in heaven. Uh, will they pretend that nothing happened? Will they ignore each other? I think, don't you think that it is now time for Manasseh to say, well, I am deeply sorry to Isaiah. I think that after that, they will embrace each other. And Isaiah will say, well, you know, Manasseh, I have forgiven you a long time ago. You are really my brother. And they will live like that for all eternity. They had no chance to do it during the lifetime. This is why if also this millennium there. You know, think about David and Uriah. <laughs> or um, Apostle Paul who um, put to death plenty of Christians before his conversion. When these people were dying, where Stephen was dying, he knew Paul at the time, Saul, as a murderer as a great enemy of God. Therefore, all this need to be explained and we need to be dealt with. And this is why we need to have this uh, judgment during millennium. Amen? But then comes the last judgment. 
the, the final judgment. And what is this final judgment? It's an executive judgment. This is the nature of it. And uh, you have uh, some biblical text about that. And this executive judgment um, is, the, is the judgment of condemnation, is uh, annihilation judgment, when all evil in various forms will be totally eradicated. How important it is. You know, if this um, last phase of God's judgment will be not here, we will be saved, we will be in heaven, but still will be a disturbing element there. <laughs> and we don't need that. This is why God is taking initiative and He is... Uh, um, annihilating everything which is um, in a relationship to evil. But let me tell you that in the biblical uh, message, in the biblical text, uh, you have only that at the end of millennium, the um, white throne, the throne of God, will be elevated. But in um, this um, book, Great Controversy, Ellen G. White is telling us very specific detail. On the page 666, I like this page number... <laughs> Uh, we, we read, above the throne of God appears the cross of Jesus. In the light of the cross, the whole great controversy between God and Satan, light and darkness, truth and deceit is shown. This will be the best multimedia presentation. I am looking forward. I don't know how long it will be. It will be two weeks or one month or um, longer. But all these details will be there. We will be... You know, uh, looking for it with open mouth. And we will understand more. And then also, not only this will be a sweep of um, the whole history, but every individual will also see in the light of the cross what God did for him or for her. And what will be the end? Not only all redeemed good angels and the heavenly beings, but also the wicked people, the evil angel and Satan himself will bow down before God and they will all confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. As everybody will attest that great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. But... After a crystal clear demonstration of God's love and evidence of it, Satan admits that God is just. Yes, his, Satan's claims are refuted. But he's angry at himself that he testified to God's justice and he leads his followers to a final rebellion. Because it was demonstrated to the whole universe that what God had unselfishly done for sinners and that even the best information could not change the heart of the wicked. This is, by the way, uh, why they are condemned and outside of the New Jerusalem. The fire from heaven will fall down and destroy, annihilate evil and everyone who associated with it. But this fire from heaven, this act of God, is actually a strange work for God. It's an alien task, but it's a very necessary act. You know, God has no pleasure in destroying the wicked, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. This is a strange act for God, but very important, very necessary act. And this will be never done for the second time. And in this way, we have here the victory of God, victory of His love, of truth and justice. It's a moral power who wins, not physical. It's a moral power of God. And He is the only warrant of freedom, harmony, peace and, uh, um, and justice. Therefore, in the new, new uh, earth will be no more death, no sickness and no wickedness. Amen? It means there will be no three uh, institutions of which we are the most scared. No cemeteries, no hospitals, and no prisons. Amen? Amen? And no more sin, sinners, evil angels, or Satan. But instead will be only love, and peace, and joy, security, creative work, meaningful, lasting relationships, to harmony, traveling during the whole vast universe, and dwelling place of God with man. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What a beautiful picture. You know, imagine all eternity with God. Angels, heavenly beings from all the different 120 billion galaxies. 
redeemed of all generations, from Adam to the second coming of Christ. The best fellowship ever. Never-ending growth in the Lord. And this is the gospel according to God's judgment. This is big picture. Glory, Hosanna, hallelujah to the Lord. This is the divine judgment. And this divine judgment is a celebration of the cross, celebration of the person, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The gospel according to God's judgment. It is a perfect gospel. Why? Because our God is perfect in all His actions. He is God of love. He is our beautiful judge. And once again, glory, Hosanna, and hallelujah to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are here before you, and we want to thank you for this beautiful plan of salvation. More and more we understand what you are doing for us. More we are standing um, in awe before you. And we want to serve you because you are this wonderful judge who is um, for us and never against us. Thank you that you justifies, you saves, you delivers, you vindicates. Yes, you are at the center. You are doing it all because you love us. And because we know you now, we want to serve you and serve you faithfully. We want to fulfill our mission you are calling us uh, to do. Therefore, please, purify us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us all your grace and power that we can be your faithful followers and that we can also accomplish uh, your task uh, you are giving us in this world. That others, other people can also hear this good news about you, that you are our judge, that you are smiling on us, you are for us and not against us. Thank you that you will come soon and give us this full assurance of salvation and also new power to go and preach because we are called to do it. Thank you in the name of Jesus for everything. Amen.